usually try to be quite sensitive to the fact that with the length of my sermon and the like that uh, the children and the children's workers are back there. It gets too late, it gets kind of rambunctious, but today Doug is back there with the children, so frankly, <laughs> I don't care. Uh, put me in the basement, Willie, I tell you what. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, did want to say I didn't get a chance to do it last Sunday because of the nature of the service and the sermon. I did just want to state publicly what I've said privately. I just thought that Pastor Mindy and the work that she did with the children last week was just outstanding, and I thought it was wonderful. <laughs> wonderful. Thank you so very much. If you have your Bibles, if you would take them out and turn with me to the Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The Gospel of John, chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. Hear these words from the Scripture. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made, and without him nothing was made that has been made. In him was life. That life was the light of humankind. The light shines in the darkness, but the darkness has not understood it. And in verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. This is God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. So, exactly when does Christmas begin? According to Luke, the gospel that is designed to be read to the Gentiles, it begins when Jewish shepherds hear an angel army singing and praising God and are told to go to a manger in Bethlehem and see the birth of this Savior, a child wrapped in swaddling clothes and lying in a manger. According to Matthew, which is the gospel designed to be read to the Jews, it begins with Gentile magi following a star in the east that leads them to the west. Just let that sink in for a moment. There they are supposed to find a child, which they eventually do, in a house in Bethlehem living with his parents. According to Herod, based on 
information that he received from that, those magi, Christmas took place two years before they ever arrived in Jerusalem. According to Mark, the no-frills gospel, Jesus wasn't born. He appears fully human, fully grown to John the Baptist out in the wilderness. So, if you use the Gospels as your basis for when Christmas occurred, you have either it occurred on one night over two years or just a fully grown guy showing up at 30 years of age and saying, let's start. So I ask the question again, when exactly does Christmas begin? Well, if the Gospels don't clear up the mystery, then church history ought to clear it up for us, certainly. And we have the earliest information about when Christmas begins comes from one of the early church fathers, a man named Clement of Alexander in the second century B.C. And he shared during one of his writings that has been handed down that some of the speculations that occurred during his lifetime were that... A, that, uh, that Christmas, the birth of Christ, was on April 19th or possibly on May 20th. Clement of Alexander refused both of those dates, obviously, because he knew when the date was. He had calculated it with mathematical certainty, and Jesus was born on November 7th, 3 B.C., Which got me to ponder, how did he determine that Jesus was born three years before, you know, Jesus was born? <laughs> which led me into a whole discussion about calendars, which you honestly do not want to know about. But just simply say that every culture, every language, every group, it didn't matter who they were, they all had their own calendars and the way in which they calculated times, dates, and seasons. Nobody agreed. About 45 years before the birth of Christ, Julian, uh, Roman, Empire, uh, Roman Emperor, said this is ridiculous and based on the best scientific information he had, he said a year ought to be 365 days, and every once in a while you ought to have an extra day, which is the calendar that we now follow. The problem is that it was slow to be adopted. And so when anybody looks back <laughs> on dates and they say, well, here's before Christ, B.C., and here's after Christ, Anno Domini, in the year of our Lord, the problem is that defining mark between the two probably isn't the date that Jesus was born. So calculating the day or the date or the year is problematic. By the time you get to origin in the third B.C.s, another one of those church fathers, by the time you get to, to uh, the, uh, uh, the, the third century, not three B.C., the third century, about 245 A.D., Origen writes that Christians were asked not to celebrate birthdays because birthday celebrations were a pagan ritual. And so even if they had known the birth date of Christ, which they didn't, they probably wouldn't have celebrated because it was too pagan to celebrate it. I'll refrain from comments about present practice. 
of celebrating Jesus' birth and its pagan nature. Oops, I just commented on it. I'm sorry, moving on. So let's recap. No one recorded the date, the month, or even the season when Jesus was born. Even the gospel writers don't really tell us exactly when that was. The church didn't know. They couldn't even figure out what year it was, let alone the day. And then eventually the church gave up on celebrating birthdays altogether for a while. So I'm curious exactly when did Christmas begin because nobody seems to know. Church historians can't help us apparently and church fathers can't agree on this. So let's turn to biblical scholars because I'm sure the biblical scholars can clear all this up. <laughs> oh, follow this one. Oh, my gosh. The key to dating Jesus' uh, birth is Zechariah, uh, the father of John the Baptist, when he's in, in the temple. Uh, Don, give me that, that first slide with the Jewish calendar in it. Here's a slide of the Jewish calendar. I, I don't put this up there for you to memorize, but for you to notice that on the black, on the inside, those are the dates and months we have. But just on the outside, those are the names of the Jewish months. Do you notice that the Jewish months overlap parts of two months of what we now call the calendar? So whenever you say, yeah, he was born here in a Jewish month, you're talking about the, oh, this is such a mess. Why am I doing this? Um, so anyway, I'm just telling you that it's a mess. So anyway, so Zechariah, Zechariah is of the tribe uh, or the group of priests from Abijah. And Abijah is one of several days. Oh, Don, help us out. We've got another slide. This will clear it all up. <clears throat> yeah, well, there it is. Now, now you all understand. So you've got all these divisions of priests, and there were so many priests by the time Jesus was born that they only served for a couple of weeks twice during the year. And this is the listing. I knew you all wanted to see that. Listing of all the different groups. And that's a worthless slide. Let's move on. <laughs> what it means is that Zechariah, and as, as a member of the division of Abijah, was, was on duty sometime in late spring, early summer, and then in late winter, late fall, early winter, for a couple of weeks every year. So, that would mean that if he was on duty in early summer, like June, and that's when he was told to go home and sleep with his wife, and she, who was barren, would become pregnant, so, of course, she got pregnant right away. Maybe. So if she got pregnant in June, then it would have been December when she was six months pregnant when Mary comes to see her. And the baby leaps in Elizabeth's womb, and then that's probably the moment when the Holy Spirit falls on Mary and she is impregnated in December, January. Somewhere around there, 
So Jesus was born in September. <laughs> or, or October, you, you just, you don't know. It could be either one. It's kind of the, why am I doing this? Um, well, I do know that the Jewish festival, I do know that this appealed to, to scholars because the Jewish festival of, of booths and tabernacles takes place in September, October, you know, that kind of thing. And so that would be really neat because if, if, if Jesus is born during that festival, the festival of booths or tabernacles or what in, in Hebrew is sucketh or sucketh, uh, which is the Hebrew word for tents. You know the celebration, right? That the Jews would leave their homes and go out and live in tents to remember what it was like in the wilderness because they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. And so they would remember God's provision for all of this, and that was the celebration. It was a big kind of deal. And, and biblical scholars said, well, that's it. That's what it is. It's, it's Sukkoth. It's, it's, it's September, October. It's this Feast of Booths. And they looked at, at, at John 1.14. Put John 1.14 up if you don't mind, Don. Because in John 1.14 it says, The word became flesh and made his dwelling, dwelling among us. And guess what? The, word, the Greek word there is the word sukkot, the Hebrew tabernacle. So obviously it means Jesus was born in September, October, somewhere along there. That, that would work out really well because then Jesus would be born on the Feast of Tabernacles. He would die at the other major feast, the Feast of the Passover, and then the Holy Spirit would come at the other major feast, which was the Feast of Pentecost. They wrapped it up in a nice little bow and said, there it is. That's what it is. It's, uh, it's... Except that one didn't really, you know, take off. Nobody embraced that one. Maybe the culture today is right because I think the culture today really agrees with biblical scholarship. They, they don't think they do, but they really do because when I grew up, Christmas began, you know, after Thanksgiving. You had the Macy's Day Thanksgiving parade and the last thing that happened that came in was who? Well, yeah, and that's when Christmas season would kick off and, you know, Christmas was the 25th and, of course, then... We had to kick off the shopping season, so Christmas begins on Black Friday, amen? You know, like that. And then this year we went through COVID, and all the government said was, well, can you kind of spread Black Friday out because we don't want all those people gathering together in lines, and so Black Friday was Black November, you know, kind of thing. And then it, when you went into stores, you would see, in stores, it, in, in October, you would see Halloween decorations, over here and Christmas decorations over here and pretty soon I think what we're going to have is that Christmas is going to begin the day after Labor Day which of course is sucketh so you know that'll, that'll, all, that'll all work probably in some strange and unusual way and maybe the final irony in all of this just to make a mess out of everything is that even the church still doesn't agree when Christmas is because while we celebrated on December 25th, there's a whole part of the church, the eastern part of the church, that believes that Christmas should be celebrated on January 6th. So, 
Can you tell me exactly when it is that Christmas begins? Because at this point, I'm confused. How in the world did we get to December 25th? Oh, I'm glad you asked. I knew you wanted to know. So here we go. <laughs> because to get to December 25th, you got to go back to the Magi and all these signs that occur in the sky. And I got one more slide because I don't know why. But one, Don, one more. One. Here it is. Because the Magi kept saying that they saw the sign in the sky. And the four major events that happen in the sky all have to do with the equinox and with the solstice. Now, if you're not up on your terms, the equinox is the day during the summer and the spring, or during the fall and the spring, when the day is equal to the night in terms of time. They have equal time. And so those are important moments. You can track them in the sky. The, the solstices are the time when you have the longest day, and then and that's in the summer, and then in the winter, it's the shortest day. So these signs in the sky became important to some of the early church as they tried to figure out when to celebrate Jesus' birth because they didn't know when he was born. And so what they did was they began looking back. So they figured that... John the Baptist had to be born on one of these days, and Jesus had to be born on one of these days. Because these are the major events that would tell those things in the sky. So John the Baptist, they said, was, he was conceived in this autumnal equinox. And six months later, that's when Mary comes, and she gets pregnant, and John is born during the summer solstice. And because she gets pregnant during the vernal equinox in the spring, nine months, she must be born, he must be born in the winter solstice, which occurs sometimes in the late, the late December months, in this case, the 21st, 22nd. And they looked around and they said, well, December 25th is open, You think I'm kidding. <laughs> December 25th isn't taken. We'll do it then. Here's the reality. If you haven't picked this up, we have no idea exactly when Jesus was born. We just picked a day. And December 25th seemed as good as any other. So with all that, as Christians, when should we say that Christmas begins? And I believe it is for that reason that John starts his gospel the way that he does. John starts his gospel by hearkening back to creation. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God, and the Word was God. John writes this opening verse to the gospel, and he reminds us that there really is no birth, quote-unquote, of Christ. Jesus has always existed. He has always been. He was in the beginning with God, which by implication means that he was with God before the beginning began. 
See, we, we have a, a tendency to measure time from when the world began, but time has no real meaning if you're an eternal creature because you have always been. And so John recognizes this, connects this, this Jesus that has always been, this Jesus that has always existed, this Jesus that is eternal, has no beginning, and therefore he cannot, on December 25th, have some new beginning as a human. Not at all. What we celebrate at Christmas is not the birth of Christ in human form. What we celebrate at Christmas is that Jesus' eternal self and nature was placed inside human form, placed inside a virgin's womb, and on December 25th, we celebrate the fact that he that has always been, he that has always existed, he that has no time to measure who he is, came out of the womb and began a human existence. When does Christmas begin? Oh, man, way before Black Friday. Way before we figured out when to celebrate it. And the reality is that Christmas began long before Jesus was ever born. Because Jesus has always been. What John is doing is he is drawing a thread, a line, between creation. In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God and the Word was God. And that nothing was made. Without the word. He's drawing a line from creation to incarnation. That 14th verse when it says the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. In Jesus, the beginning is now tied to the activity of Christ himself as he has been working throughout eternity. Matthew tries to do this too by telling us about the star, the magi, claiming that creation in the sky reveals incarnation in the manger. Luke tries to do this, it may be a little less direct, but he has an angel army show up and tell them about the birth of a child, the angels representing eternity because they are eternal beings, at least in the sense that they will never die, and that they come from Sukkot. They come from the dwelling place of God, which is in eternity, which is in heaven. So when John says, in the beginning, Luke says, I'll portray that and tell you about the shepherds and the angels. When John says all things were made by him, Matthew says, let me show that, and I'll give you the star. But when John says the word became flesh and dwelt among us, he's telling us that the creator has become part of his own creation that he who made all things and brought all things into existence has now become part of the very thing that he has created. Creation, you see, 
has become incarnation. The word eternal has become the word incarnate. Come on, that was good. That was worth an amen. You got to help me, brother. I mean, we celebrate more than the birth of Christ when we celebrate the birth of Christ. We celebrate the truth and reality that God exists, has always existed, and will always exist. We celebrate the fact that God is in our midst by the virtue of the presence of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus came to be among us, that God was so concerned about human existence that he came out of time, out of eternity, and came into the midst of our time and our finiteness to give us a hint about infinity and eternity. Advent is the season of the church calendar year where we are asked to live in the anticipation of Christ's coming. We're going to take off after the Christmas Eve service, Joni and I, and we're going to go down to Parkersburg, West Virginia to Joel and Shafali and the kids, and we're going to do that and then turn around and come back on Christmas Day so I can preach on the 26th. We're going to do all that traveling for one reason, because I figured there aren't that many more years that I'm going to have the chance to sit in the living room of my grandchildren and watch my five- and seven-year-old granddaughters come running into the room, see the tree in the presence, and have the look of wonder that children so often have at that moment. And they are suffering through these days because Christmas is coming very slowly. <laughs> I saw a meme on Facebook where a guy said, uh, this was posted about two weeks ago, I think, or a week ago. Guy said, according to my chocolate advent calendar, Christmas is two days away. <laughs> we like anticipation, but not too much. We like having to wait, but not too long. Imagine if you're the Jews who have waited for hundreds of years for a Messiah to be born, centuries for a Savior to come. Advent is meant to help us understand that anticipation and waiting are part of the game. It's part of the joy. It's part of the pain and agony that leads to celebration and joy. But you must remember that what John does is he doesn't just talk about Advent as a time of waiting. He stretches Advent. He stretches it to eternity to remind us that while you've been waiting and we've been waiting for a Savior to come and to celebrate, God has been patiently waiting since eternity to send his Son into the world. Not for presents and gold and frankincense and myrrh, but for a cross and for a death 
and it was agony and painful. And then to put him in a tomb for three days. Talk about anticipation. Only for him to come breaking forth. Praise God. On Easter Sunday morning and saying, eternity does not end here. Eternity stretches in both directions. You see, this is the great truth of Christmas, is that it reminds us that we are living in eternity. Not in our 60 or 70 or whatever years we have. We're living in the midst of an eternal revelation of God that stretches back before time began and will go on after time is destroyed and there is no more. Joni's uncle Jim passed away last Sunday. 93. Lived a good full life. Joni's dad is 98. And we went to Uncle Jim's funeral. Joni and I were sitting there, and Joni was remembering. We had a chance this early this fall to be up in the Dayton area for a few days, and Joni took off and spent a day with her Uncle Jim. And in talking with Uncle Jim, he said to Joni, he said, I thought I'd be dead before this. She said, why do you think that, Uncle Jim? She said, well, I thought when my wife, when Mary Jo died, he said, I thought I'd probably die right after her. And I miss her so much, and it's been so long. He said, I just want to go. I just want to be reunited. I just, I just want to be with God. They took him to the hospital on a Sunday, and he was gone by Wednesday from a brain bleed. Why? Because this wise 93-year-old pillar of his church, Christian lover of God, recognized that at 93, he wasn't coming to the end of his life, he was coming to the beginning. He was coming to the beginning. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel. Come, Lord, come. That's what we sing at Advent. But John implores us to remember, we're just living in the middle of reality. We're not living at the beginning or the ending of it. We're living in the middle of reality because in the beginning was God and Jesus died and was resurrected and he now sits at the right hand of God. And folks, he spans time and eternity. So where does Christmas begin? <laughs> Amen. <laughs> I got a better one. Who cares? <laughs> because we're never going to pin down the date. Because Christmas began before there was a time, a year, a season, or a birth. If we celebrate Christmas beginning in eternity one way, it's important that we celebrate Christmas as being fulfilled in the other way as well. When you're a pastor, one of the things that you have to come to grips with is that 
oftentimes during Christmas we celebrate communion. Today is our regular Sunday. We postponed it from last week, but our regular once a month communion. But on Christmas Eve at 6 o'clock when we gather, we're going to take communion. Why would you take communion about Jesus' death when you're celebrating Jesus' birth? Well, it's easy. Because when you celebrate communion, you don't just celebrate that Jesus died. Come on, tell me you know this. You don't just celebrate that Jesus has died. I mean, I know we've got the juice that's red and blood and the bread that represents his body. I, I, I've studied. I understand all of that. But we celebrate communion because Jesus died and, and was raised from the dead. You see, if he dies and that's it, there's no reason to eat the bread and the juice. He's just a nice guy that did nice things, said nice things, and then ended But Jesus didn't just die, he was resurrected. And therefore, when we gather for Christmas, is it appropriate to do communion? You bet, because it reminds us that not only did Jesus exist before there was time, but he's been resurrected and he's going to exist when time is no more. Therefore, when we celebrate communion, we celebrate the the fact that there is a There's a real sense of the presence of Christ when we take communion. Because Jesus is not dead. He is alive. He is here. And we get a a hint, a sliver, a glimpse into what it must have been for a shepherd or a wise man to see the child. And to be in the presence of the child. And to celebrate his birth. Because Jesus is still alive. And will always be alive. Therefore, on the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread. He offered it. And he said to his disciples, take and eat for this bread represents my body. That will be broken for you. Likewise, he took a cup after supper. He said, this cup represents my blood shed for you. And then he said that we should do this often, but do it in remembrance of him. When we remember Jesus, we remember Jesus as an eternal being who always was and who will always be. Christmas and Easter are not days on a calendar. They are one event that reminds us that when we share, when we worship, eternity is in our midst. Welcome to Christmas, because at least for some of us, Christmas begins today, right now, as we take the elements. Ushers, come wait upon us if you would. I thank the ushers for their wonderful work. What we're going to do is we're going to make you work for this. So we're going to have you get up and come down and take partake of this. We have those wonderful cups with that tasty, glorious, gourmet styrofoam wafer.
that requires skill beyond my measure to open up and to get to. But it's packaging that matters. It's the fact that in our doing, in this faithful exercise, somehow God is present in our midst. So, here's what I'd like for you to do. I'm going to start with the inside two groups. I'd like to start from the back, if that's okay. Whoever is on the inside aisle in the back, if you'll begin, just come stand up, come forward, take the element and go back by the side aisles and back to your seats. When we're finished with that, we'll begin with the side aisles, same process, from the back, come down, take the element and then go back by your seats. I hope that's as clear as mud. If you're not going to take communion, let others go past you if you don't mind in as easy and simple a process as we can. Thank you, O Lord, for the gift of communion, for the gift of your Son, for the joy of knowing that Christmas begins today in our hearts because you are always incarnate in the world we live. In Jesus' name, amen.